Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Catch Up with Louise Makshari, or indeed, welcome back if this is not your first time listening. Thank you so much for choosing to tune in. This is the podcast where if you haven't been paying attention during the week, you don't need to worry because I am here with my team of brilliant contributors to help catch you up on the goings on, whether it's news and current affairs or pop culture, or indeed just interesting stuff that people have been doing. That's what we are here for. Uh, So welcome. And I hope you've had a good week. If not, no worries. We will put one foot in front of the other and carry on. I have to say it was a pretty good week in my world. I went to Slane to see Harry Styles on Saturday and it was amazing. I was super lucky. I was invited there as a guest of Slane Distillery, which is the whiskey company who um, make whiskey on the grounds and obviously sell whiskey all over Ireland and internationally. Um, And it is the project of Alex Cunningham, who's the son of Lord Henry Mount Charles, who originated the Slane gigs. And Alex Cunningham lives in the castle now with his wife and his kids. And it was such a cool day getting to see all the ways that the distillery works and how it interacts with the rest of Slane and, you know, the land and all the rest. Um, you'll hear me kind of babbling on about that later on in the podcast. But I think my favorite thing about the day was, aside from all the cool cool things that I got to do and got to access, was just the vibe was so nice. There was so much pink in the crowd. Gordon kept saying, saying like, it's like, look at all the pink. Uh, there were so many rainbow flags. There was such a vibe of like acceptance and encouragement. And it felt very, very special. If you were there, I'm sure you felt it. If not, um, I suppose you can count yourself lucky that you didn't have to make that arduous journey out of there, which let's be honest, I heard plenty of people saying it was not easy, but I don't, I don't think I heard very many people saying it wasn't worth it. It was a very special day. And then I felt super guilty about having abandoned my children overnight. So I took them to the Kilashi Hotel in Kildare on Sunday. They had invited me and the kids. So it was a, a press day, but I wanted to mention it because we had such a lovely time. Um, and I think sometimes 
you're desperately looking for somewhere that's good for you to go with your kids because kids are not welcome everywhere, let's be honest. Or sometimes they're like welcome in inverted commas, but the reality when you get there is people don't really want them there. And that was not the vibe of Killashi. Everything there was like friendly to children, but it's also a beautiful, beautiful place to be. There's a swimming pool, there's a spa, the food is great. There's loads of space in the hotel. There's a playground on the grounds. There's also loads of space for adult hangs on the grounds. I just really genuinely loved it. Um, obviously I'm not under any obligation to mention it here but I wanted to mention it in case you needed to do something with like extended family or you know just just take your kids away from the night I really thought it was super and um, Sam said the restaurant was the best restaurant he'd ever been to so there you go you can put that in your pipe and smoke it um, but yeah I was I felt like a very lucky girl this week very jammy indeed um, updates Aoife and I are going to be at Beyond the Pale tomorrow today it's Thursday today. We're going to be there. Well, we're going to be there on Friday, but we'll be doing a show on Saturday, as we will mention shortly. So if you're there, come and see us. We're doing a show at Body and Soul on Sunday. So come and see us there. Very lovely weekend ahead of us. Also, there was a new Patreon episode this week. If you're uh, joined up to the Patreon, go and listen to it. Um, I really enjoyed it. So one, I do a, a Patreon episode every second week. And um, this one was a mailbag. So basically, as you know, the we have a phone number here. It's 089-209-6423. Sorry, every time I say we, I'm like, who's we? It's literally me. <laughs> I have a phone number for the podcast, 089-209-6423, where you can send voice notes, feedback. You can agree or disagree or make suggestions or just give me your thoughts. And your contributions to the to this month were super, really thought-provoking stuff and really good shots. So I'm actually going to add a clip in at the very end of the episode, just in case you've been worrying worrying wondering what that sounds like you can uh, have a listen there anyway let's get going before I make any more mistakes and get the news with the delightful Aoife Moore Aoife Moore uh, how lovely to have you in my home this morning we mm -hmm. never record here no I know probably because I've just taken like three or four makeup things from your house that's probably why I'm not invited often <laughs> I absolutely love to give people makeup so I'm only delighted and before we get started we've got an exciting weekend ahead we better plug our gigs so excited um we are at body and soul and beyond the pale this weekend um doing kind of a version of this podcast but not really it's going to be a little bit different um on Saturday at beyond the pale going to be chatting about nature and basically why loads of us go to festivals every year and have this amazing time being outside and then ignore nature for the rest of the year and kind of what a difference it can make to your life if you actually kind of bring it in a little bit very excited I'm gonna be speaking to Dahi Odroni who um you know as Dahi the musician um he is so talented and he has moved back to West Clare and he's opened a recording studio and he says like the impact that people find when they come to his space you'll you'll hear it when you're there mm. um and then also Jen O'Dwyer is going to be joining us from the creep dive uh talking about I'm not going to tell you I'm not going to tell you what she's talking about anyway it's going to be a great crack that is at Beyond the Pale at 12.30 on Saturday. And then on Sunday at, oh God, I'm going to mess this up. One o'clock? Half one. Half one, thank you. Very um, it's all on my social media. <laughs> on Sunday at Body and Soul, myself, Aoife and PJ Kirby of I'm Grandmam are going to be talking about bodies, uh, given this, the festival is called Body and Soul. Now it has been billed comedy, um, <laughs> which is an interesting categorization. Uh, I am hilarious. PJ, PJ's very funny. PJ's very funny. Excuse me, Sorry, I'm very funny. You're very funny. <laughs> but I'm not a comedian. Um, <laughs> but PJ's very funny. And even though we'll be talking about kind of serious stuff, I know it's going to be great fun. And I think it'll be a nice way to ease yourself in if you're at Body and Soul into the day. Or if you're going home, it might be a nice way to cap off your weekend. So please do come and see us because it's really embarrassing if nobody turns up to your and things. And what's the rule that we decided last year to let your picnic? If me and Louise look messy, don't come over to it. <laughs> yes. 
Come and say hi, unless we look demented, in which case, maybe don't. <laughs> and everyone obeyed the rule at Electric Picnic. Yeah, they were very kind. Everyone was so nice. I'm sure some of your WhatsApp groups were a buzz. <laughs> just like even the Louise in bits. We just, we never get out, guys. We never get out. Um, no, we're very much looking forward to it. So do, if you're going, uh, feel free to come and say hi to us. Okay, let's get stuck into this week's stories. Lots of news to talk about. And unfortunately, we have to start with the death of a legend, Christy yeah. Dignam. We've talked about Christy already um, on this podcast. So I think it just kind of shows that like, despite his music career being over for so long, he's still such a facet Presence, in Irish yeah. life. So Christy Dignam died this week after a long on and off battle with cancer. He's best known as the lead singer of Aslan, who were once billed Ireland's greatest ever um, Irish live band. Um, it was actually Bono that said that. Mm. Um, they never really reached the heights uh, that they were tipped to reach because of like a myriad of different reasons. But a lot of them were to do with Christie's struggles with heroin addiction. Mm. Um, I noticed in the news this week, I don't know if you noticed it, but I noticed in the news last this week, they did not want to talk about what Christie was addicted to. Like I heard a lot of his addiction problems, but they wouldn't say heroin. And I find that quite disingenuous because Christy was so open about it, like to take the stigma out of it. Yeah. But regardless, he he died this week. Um, The first person out of the trap was President Michael D. Higgins, who said it was with great sadness that the nation would be feeling on hearing of Christy's death. He said Christy was central to that connection and his passionate performances, ensuring a memorable night every time Aslan played. And there were many nights with Christy and the band showing an endless dedication to touring throughout the country. As a result, people in nearly every town in Ireland will have their own memories of seeing them play mm-hmm. and will feel like they had a personal connection with Christy. Mm-hmm. Indeed, I will personally remember a typically memorable performance with Christy in the RS in 2016. Mm. I heard this week that Aslan used to play parish halls and and discos for under 18s to make it more accessible for kids and teenagers Mm. to go to live gigs which maybe that wasn't as accessible if you didn't have parents well it's not that accessible now like I often think that because my kids would love like Mm -hmm. you know they've seen bits and pieces but like I'd love to bring them to gigs but you just can't so that's yeah so Christy was um then had one daughter, Kira, who he was devoted to his whole life, mm. um, who became his kind of spokes and informal spokesperson. And he has always praised his wife. He had to come back and tell his wife that he had been kicked out of Aslan mm. decades ago because of his heroin addiction. And his wife took over um, the running of the family home, looking after Christy and Kira. And he spent most of his life. You know, he was fingerless to his bones. I think that's something that's worth saying as well, that he was so, so protective and so, so heartfelt about his home place of fingerless. And he was very open about um, his addiction and then the work he did for charity, for homelessness. The last Mm. charity single he brought out was for the people of Ukraine and the Red Cross. Before that, it was for um, a a housing charity. So he never really forgot where he came from. And then this week in the doll, the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar said that he was a musical legend and a true inspiration. He said, a, a real great dub who will be sorely missed in the city across the country and the wider commu- community. Breed Smith said that her party openly, openly and publicly wanted to send sympathy to the Dignams. And my experience of him, Breed said, was when he played in Ballyfermot in the 90s in the local venue. It used to be packed to the gills full of young people who really got him and they really got them. He understood young people in working class areas. He was of them. He was part of them. And he fully expressed their experience in life. Mm. 
Um, and same, it, I just have a list of politicians yeah. saying like beautiful things yeah. about him. So I think it's the end of an era, actually. Yeah. I think everyone has a memory of Aslan, even if it's just the chorus from Crazy World. Yeah. Everyone's been at a family party. I, re- I also heard this week that Noel Gallagher, someone asked Noel Gallagher when he's at a family party and he's pissed, what does he sing? And he said, Aslan, Crazy World. Oh. So yeah, it's I'm all goosebumps. But um, yeah. yeah, it definitely, I think, is an end of an era for Irish music. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's so powerful, you know, and important to have working class people, you know, who are successful maintaining that connection and always speaking out for their community. And we see it time and time again, like I think the loyalty um, in working class people for where they come from is just a really powerful and beautiful thing to see. I see it actually with um, Damien Dempsey and his fans mm, as well. There's right. something about, yeah, Christy and Damo, they, they have the same thing where they kind of make men feel able to like feel things and at talk their about their feelings yeah, yeah they're really very vulnerable special. like he's you're right Damo and Christy are very similar in that way that they can be, they're both very publicly vulnerable which yeah. hasn't always been the case no. especially at Christy's age mm. for men of that age to mm. be so publicly vulnerable and talk about their feelings and yeah, stuff it's amazing R.I.P. Christy you were so loved and will always be loved now another death uh, slightly different to talk yeah I think <laughs> Ah. Um, I think sorry, we're we'll not have laughing a, that no, he died. We'll have but, a slightly different tone. Yeah. So the state funeral <clears throat> of Italian ex-Prime Minister Silvio Berlusconi was attended by political leaders, his family, and a string of ex-girlfriends this week. So thousands of mourners gathered in Milan to say their final f- farewell to the one-time cruise singer um, who led Italy with no prior political experience <laughs> and built a media empire. Who does he sound like? Oh, yeah. Um, they chanted the people of milan chanted uh silvio will always be our president as the coffin was taken under the cathedral um the hungarian leader victor orban uh, the emir of qatar were in were in attendance um but although berlusconi was a really divisive figure for italians he was renowned for his very sexist and crude jokes yes. he then became bunga came, bunga parties he came to prominence because of bunga bunga parties um he only had five children which i was very I know, I was surprised, surprised by that surprised too that, i mean yeah. that we know of um so yeah he was absolutely minted he had a media fortune real estate finance cinema sport he was one of at least richest men forbes put him at around six billion euro um, he has never publicly indicated who should lead his business empire now. I'm feeling succession vibes from this. Um, and there are also big questions over Forza Italia. So Forza Italia is the political party that he helped found. Mm. And Italy is currently uh, in a coalition with a far right party. Um, so Maloney, Prime Minister Maloney is the current Prime Minister. She's not Forza Italia, but Forza mm. Italia are involved in this government. Mm. Berlusconi was right wing, but just nowhere near what the Italian right wing is at the minute. Yeah, Yeah, I think he would actually be seen as centrist Mm. now because things have shifted so dramatically in Italy. Mm. Um, But yeah, he... He was a character. He was quite a guy. He was Um, a character. But yeah, like, with all big alpha male leaders, there is, at least divided um, on what he did for the country. And he is very much seen as, you know, of a different generation yeah he was very sexist he i believe at one point in his career when he tried to um help the country's finances he released a cover album of him singing love songs 
I mean, whatever works. Sure, why not? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? If you've if you've got the access, you might as well release an album. Um, well, I suppose rest in peace, Silvio. Uh, thanks for bunga bunga parties. I mean, there were so many jokes made about those over yeah. the years. Um, sorry for all of the women yeah, who had terrible experiences with you. Yeah. Um, okay, now let's talk about this story. So many people messaged me about this story this week, um, and lots of people with mixed feelings. I have to say, uh, this is the story of a mother in the UK who is being jailed mm-hmm. for taking abortion pills after the legal time limit okay so the background of the story is um carla foster she was a 44 year old who lived in stoke-on-trent she had three children already and she was pregnant again she had gotten back with her ex-boyfriend and moved back in with him at the start of covid she was pregnant with another man's baby and she was i don't know too nervous too scared too shy we don't know the ins and outs of it but she did not want to tell her partner that she was pregnant with someone else's baby Mm. and through the pills by post scheme which was brought in uh in ireland and in in the uk to procure early week abortions that allows pregnancies for up to 10 weeks to be terminated at home but you have to fill in a form etc to get these pills um the 10 week post 10 weeks you have to go to a clinic um that's the difference so carla foster provided false information knowing she was over the time limit so she was post 10 weeks Mm. and had made online searches um to that effect so between february and march 2020 now this is quite a long time ago now three years ago she had searched things like to me it it is a real narrative of desperation so Mm. her online searches included how to hide a pregnancy bump how to have an abortion without going to a doctor and how to lose a baby at six months god she must have been desperate yeah um so she was sent the tablets because it was estimated she was seven weeks pregnant when that wasn't the case Mm. um they she took the abortion pills on the 11th of may 2020 and she phoned the hospital and said that she was in labor the baby was born not breathing during the phone call and was confirmed dead about 45 minutes later the baby geared cause of death uh, stillbirth and maternal use of abortion drugs and she was around 34 weeks mm. so that's pretty far on between 32 and 34 yeah and that's where people are struggling i think based mm-hmm. on the messages that i got this week she which has, i can understand yeah she has three sons um already uh she was initially i thought this was terrible she was initially charged with child destruction mm. which she denied but she did plead guilty to an alternative charge of defences against the Persian Act, administering drugs or using instruments to procure an abortion, which was accepted. Mm-hmm. So the judge agreed that it was a tragic case. And he said that if she had pled guilty earlier, uh, he might have been able to give her a lighter sentence. She was racked by guilt and had suffered depression. She was a good mother to three children and one of them has special needs. She will spend 14 months in prison and 14 on license, 14 on license. Um... And now the debate has started, you know, a number of women's health organizations have said like she has three children, one of which has special needs, a non-custodial sentence would have been appropriate because she is not a danger to society. Like, look, this is a very unpleasant situation. There's no two Mm -hmm. ways about it. It's hard to sit comfortably with the idea of of what happened there and it's not comfortable it is uncomfortable and often the circumstances which lead to abortion are uncomfortable and they're mm. complex and you're talking about a, a you know what sounds like a desperate individual in a, in a tricky situation and you know it's not up to us to talk about her decision or whatever the question is where is the benefit in putting her in prison mm-hmm. like who does that serve Mm-hmm. what is the point you know i, I just like, i don't the, see this is the thing the, the women's health charity said that if you put her in prison 
you are sending a letter sending a signal that it might deter other women from accessing telemedical abortion services and other let and other late gestation women from seeking medical care or being open and honest with medical professionals so their argument is that this would only serve to put more women off even yeah. seeking these this type of treatment yeah. however the other side of it is the judge would say we need to send a message that you cannot mm. do this because if he is seen being lenient or the state is seen being lenient mm. on this type of thing then more people might do it whether you agree with that or not yeah. that is the thought process yeah. behind both but it has caused it reminds me so much of repeal like yeah. i just even when i was reading the story it reminds me of the same arguments and the same things mm. that we had heard um a couple of years ago we're not that far away from it yeah. and it is just it's a really really desperate situation that's the thing i took most from it is that this woman was obviously desperate and yeah. acted in a desperate way. So, And I think as well, like her barrister said, and I think this is fair, that the circumstances were very unique in that it was the pandemic. She didn't have the option of face-to-face, -face, you know, conversation mm -hmm. or consultation. And you can imagine that if she had gone to the doctor, she, you know, or a service that, you know, provides this kind of care, she probably would have had a conversation, yeah. you know, and it would have gone a different way. Yeah, and for instance, so the la the Labour MP Stella Creasy said that the average prison sentence for a violent offence is 18 months. She got 28 months. Um, she's calling for reform of, it, of the Act. Um, and although the Crown Prosecution Service, these exceptionally rare cases are complex and traumatic, our prosecutors have a duty to ensure that laws set by Parliament are properly considered and applied when making these difficult decisions. Mm. And Rishi Sunak said that he has no plans or is not aware of any plans to address reform of the abortion service. I mean, her poor kids. Yeah, that's all I can think of. Yeah, well. her poor kids. Okay. Um, now, let's talk about Donald Trump being in I don't even have to look at my notes. I know <laughs> everything there is to know about this. I am obsessed. Okay, go. Okay, so Donald Trump, um, this, so I think this is where the misinformation comes from. Well, the misinformation is, is technically coming from the Republicans, but Donald Trump went home when he, you know when you clear out your office after a job? I do. Like, you leave your job, you have a couple of picture frames. You know, my stuff is still in two of them, so far as I know. I literally, I I left I a literally couple never things. walked back yeah, into the building. Yeah, I think I left a few things at the Sunday Times as well. <laughs> um, so I, like, you know, I don't have a boyfriend, but if I'm sure you have a picture <laughs> of a boyfriend some hand sanitizer, an old makeup bag. Yeah. Um, so presidents take stuff with them, but you're not supposed to take classified documents. Now, you Donald would think that would be obvious. Yeah. But then it's hard to know what's classified, what's not. They're all in these boxes. Anyway, so the issue, although Donald Trump took classified documents with him, it has happened before. Hillary Clinton has done stuff like this before. Joe Biden has done stuff like this before. That is not why Donald Trump has been indicted. Okay. So I think that's what we need to get okay. right. He has been indicted because the authorities sent him a subpoena and sent him like multiple requests to give back the documents. And he was like, no. Then he directed his attorney to take the boxes home with him and take out anything that he thought might look bad. Oh, come on, Donald. He showed classified documents to a staff member in Mar-a-Lago and then realized this person wouldn't have clearance to look at them, said, could you stand a bit further away? <laughs> they had classified documents, including a map of Iran and military strategic maps in a shire 
in the country club of Mar-a-Lago in an, a spare bathroom. Like there is a photograph of all these boxes in a shower. Now, look, I will say my ensuite in my room, we don't use it. It's full of wedding presents that we haven't used. Okay. <laughs> but well, it's not the same. They're not classified. Um, And then, so what usually happens is, you know, you have like attorney, prank, attorney client privilege so that you can't like whatever happens between you and your lawyer. So bad was the fraud that when you instruct your lawyer for the purposes of fraud, attorney-client privilege doesn't matter anymore. So Mm. his own solicitor will now be testifying against him. Oh my God. There are 37 charges under the Espionage Act, which is, let's be fair, the sexiest sounding law. Yeah. Not for the sexiest man, but the sexiest (laughs) sounding law. He's 37 charges. He has pled not guilty. As usual, he has blamed, Donald Trump has blamed the deep state He's blamed Hillary Clinton. He's obsessed with Hillary Clinton. Um, and blamed everybody and anybody. They keep comparing what Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden did. But as why I've just educated all the listeners to catch up, they did not do the same thing. Mm. Joe Biden worked out that he had still documents from when he was vice president and just gave them back. Trump would not be in half as much baller if he just gave them no, back. And he intentionally and kind of hid Yeah, them. it's the obstruction yeah. as well. So, so what's going to happen? He is the first ever president in American history to be indicted on federal charges. It is shocking. So that was in Miami. There so he is, is groundbreaking. There is a chance that they might move it to Washington. But they have filed charges in both jurisdictions just in case. Because they might get it thrown out on a technicality. But what are the potential consequences? He could spend 20 years in prison. Oh my god, imagine. He could run for president from, for, from prison. He just wouldn't be able to vote for himself. See, the thing is, if he went to prison, like the MAGA people probably, it would probably like make him even more popular. I They'd heard a see really him as interesting like a, debate the other day where like left wing, really liberal Democrats said that they know that for the purposes of law and order, this is the right thing to do. But they are genuinely the concerned about what this is going to do to the fabric of the country. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Well, so it's just, and also this isn't the last, you know, we were people there's like more, really right? concerned about, you know, the, the they paid off. Stormy Daniels and it wasn't didn't seem that big a deal and mm. like there's classified documents then there's tax evasion and all these different cases this is only the second one I think it's there's wild. six or seven jurisdictions that are it's looking wild. at them okay well we will watch with interest and then I just wanted to touch on this quickly because I've obviously talked about my ADHD diagnosis here and you guys I have gotten so many messages from you guys about your own kind of journeys in terms of getting diagnosed with ADHD and it was brought up this week mm-hmm. in uh, the doll. Yeah, it was an Arachta subcommittee, so Sorry. I'm not going to do most... I'm, I'm going to let you do most of the talking on this, but I'll just explain the political side of it. Mm. So there was an Arachta subcommittee this week, and they were told that from ADHD Ireland that they have seen calls, the organisation, double uh, to 6,000 calls per year. Um, so ADHD, as some of us know, stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder and is a neurodevelopmental condition, which means that the brain has developed differently and there are three different types of ADHD. So we heard this week in the committee that the service has been hearing anecdotally from a range of personnel in the HSE that community mental health services are being overwhelmed by adults. See, it's when I was younger, the only people I knew who had ADHD were children. The only people who were tested were, mm-hmm. were children. But that's also a relatively new thing. So what's things, um, you know, company can also allude to this but 
people as they're getting older are now realizing that mm. they might have ADHD as well. Mm-hmm. So there are concerns, and this is where I would have concerns as well, because what happens when there is a lack of services is people start looking elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And there have been concerns that there's a lack of regulation being carried out for private assessments, mm-hmm. especially around the parents of children being exploited. Mm. Because you know you're, there's something, no, I'm not saying there's something wrong, you know that your child is in some sort of distress mm-hmm. and you will do anything to see if you can get it sorted and then because it's a relatively new thing and if you don't work in the health sector you're not going to know what kind of qualification someone will need mm-hmm. then people are going to people who are not qualified mm-hmm. or do not have the paperwork to be given these sorts of assessments mm. um so at the moment there are four clinics for adults with adhd that doesn't seem like enough to me it's not and then there are four uh, there should be another 12 or 13 ruled out when they are fully ruled out, but they are not. Mm. Um, and he told the committee as well that he recently cried during a seminar organized for people with late ADHD diagnosis, where they spoke about how their life could have been different had they been diagnosed earlier, stating that people are grieving for the life that they could have had. Yeah. And much of the discussion was centered around the difficulties of living with ADHD and there is a need to highlight the positives because as I was saying, there's nothing wrong with being ADHD. No, it's, it's just, just, your brain just works differently. Exactly. And it's, a lot of people think there's something wrong with them and don't realize that they have Sorry, ADHD. if you're hearing banging, it's because even where cannot speak without banging on a surface. Sorry, it's just something <laughs> I care deeply about. No, I just wanted to explain. Um, <laughs> so... It's so that's just what he said. He said 15% of adults getting treated by the mental health service with the HSE will have undiagnosed ADHD. No, yeah. that is interesting. And well, we this are is over the thing because to ignore it and it'll pay 1.8 billion each year, yeah, until we pay attention to it. Well, a huge, so you go, yeah. Well, just I mean, f- from my reading and my experience, is like a huge number of women because women are particularly underdiagnosed and a huge because. ADHD manifests itself differently in us. So for example, um, a, a, a boy with ADHD might be visibly hyperactive. Like you can see that they struggle to sit still. It's a physical mm-hmm. thing. Whereas for a lot of women and girls, the hyperactivity stays within their brain. Okay. So the brain is going, 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 going. But I you might appear calm. But from the outside, you wouldn't know. Mm. Um, and so this is often misdiagnosed as anxiety or depression mm. um, when in fact it's ADHD. So, you know, I, I actually read that this the the director of ADHD Ireland also said or the chief executive of ADHD Ireland also said that this is a story that he hears time and time again so it's misdiagnosis it's people who are being mismedicated mm-hmm. um, and you know that thing of grieving for the life that you had that you could have had like I mean I really empathize with that I have to say I've been very lucky like I think I very successfully worked with my ADHD up to a point where I couldn't and it's quite common that what happens is you have children and then your your mental load becomes just too much because Mm. obviously children add 100,000 thoughts to your brain every day and it becomes so much that you kind of reach a breaking point which I think is what happened for me Mm -hmm. Um, and so then you have to confront it or figure out what's going on so because I was okay kind of I figured it out like I was able to work with it up until that point I don't have that feeling of mourning but I know that a lot of people do Mm. and you know for some people it caused them major problems in school they have had major social issues I have three friends three female friends who have ADHD and they all got late diagnosis so 20 30 and 40 and one of my friends had a terrible time at school Mm. because they basically made her feel stupid because Mm. her she would have hyper focus on one thing Mm -hmm. then not study for the other things and then Mm -hmm. fail the exam Mm -hmm. and no one thought well she knows absolutely every minute detail about this one topic Mm. 
but she hasn't studied for something else. Maybe there's something mm. neurodivergent there. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think the more and more we hear about it, no, I do think it has been talked about it a lot more yeah. because even things like, and I know a lot of people because we get a lot of messages from moms and stuff of like children with autism, but like. Mm. I'm only 32 and I didn't know what autism was until I was like well into my 20s because mm. it was not talked about. No, it's all changing, which is great. Yeah. And like the more we talk about it, the better. I would never have gone and gotten assessed if I hadn't heard hadn't heard other adult women talking about the, the way ADHD manifests in them. And that's why I keep talking about it as well. Because, mm. you know, if you can get a bit of relief and it doesn't mean you necessarily have to take medication, but it can just mean that you go, oh, okay. And then you can learn about the way it's that your brain just works. not beating yourself up because yeah, you exactly. can't do things the same way other people do. Them. Exactly. And there's benefits as well. Like I I was in the airport yeah. yesterday um, and I was speaking with a friend of mine about um, she was saying that she you know used to get quite anxious about travel and she'd say she'd be thinking for weeks in the lead up to it or worrying about <laughs> x y and z and I was like you can't do that no that's not a thing that I've ever experienced because I find it difficult to think about anything that isn't in the immediate yeah immediately my, now or like tomorrow Bri- I don't think Brianna would um, mind me telling this but Brianna calls my beige flag that I consistently ask her what she's wearing when yes. we're going places. oh my god <laughs> and she's like I, I don't no, you do that to me as well. I'm always like, I don't have a fucking oh clue, Aoife. Like, and like, I won't know until fi- like, until I'm putting it on my body. I have had to actively not ask you and Brianna what you're wearing to be on the pail because I know you won't know until the morning no that idea. we leave. Absolutely no idea. It's tomorrow. I have no idea. I'm no the idea. real victim in this. <laughs> okay, um, we've really gone on for a long time and I'm going to be very late for my nail appointment. So we better say goodbye. Aoife Moore, thank you so much. Come see us at Body... Body in Pale, no, Body, body in the, the pale. pale and Body and Soul. <laughs> Pre-order Aoife's book, The Long Game. It's Love coming me. out in September. The link is in the show notes. Thank you very much. Fruit is a new six-part audio series, also known as a podcast series, uh, which tells the story of the flirtations, trials, and tribulations of four LGBTQ plus gals in Dublin City. It tackles topics including what it is to be trans today, queerness in the workplace, the difficulty of finding a home in a hostile city, hello, and the still prevalent stigmatization of a HIV plus diagnosis while celebrating the complexities and joys of Ireland's LGBTQ plus community. I never heard of anything like this happening in Ireland I in fact haven't heard of that many drama series being produced audio drama series being produced in Ireland and so I was really excited to get the chance to talk to the creators of the series Alton Pringle and Lisa Nally this week I hope you enjoy our chat I loved chatting to them so um, Lisa and Alton, it is just such a pleasure to be talking to you and to have you on the podcast. I was absolutely fascinated when I read about fruit because I can't think of anyone doing anything like this in Ireland before. So start from the beginning and explain to me where this idea came from. I'm looking at Lisa and smiling because I was warned before we came on here not to talk about where the idea came from. <laughs> oh. So I'm wondering, do I talk well, about it's it? It's because we disagree on to exactly what where it was. But we, I think we met, we just end up talking about making projects all the time when we're not supposed to be working, which is our toxic trait, which is why we shouldn't be allowed le- be left alone together. Right. So you don't know how this- to be friends anymore. No, it's all about <laughs> what if we tried this really weird thing? Yeah. So we were in the Botanic Gardens, is Ulton's precise memory. And yes. we were talking I'm... about making work with queer roles and how we can incorporate comedy. And this just snowballed. Yeah. Um, but why audio? Like, why did audio kind of, because I, I just don't, it's, it's quite unusual. To, I mean, it's great that it's happening, but it hasn't, as I say, I, mm. it's not really something that's happening a lot in Ireland at the moment. 
I think it happened in audio because it's what we could, it's the only every like access to it we had was to make something this ambitious. The only way we could do it was through the audio medium. Mm. So it was kind of necessity that brought that brought us to the audio format. And then right. we kind of went from there because we knew we knew we wanted it to be big. We knew we wanted like 40 cast members. We knew we wanted to reach out to as many people as we could to drag them into it. And like the reality is being like upcoming artists in the Irish theatre industry, the most people you can have in a play is one. And if you're really lucky, two. Mm. And we knew we wanted this to be big. We wanted to try and be ambitious so the audio medium seemed like the best possible one cool and then and definitely, ha- oh, go on. no no you go on <laughs> it definitely allowed us to be super audacious as well like there's no other way that we would have been able to work with the caliber of the people that we were able to work with if we could like we've had them each for a couple of hours and it, they were all fantastic and so accommodating to what we were kind of trying to make but also some of them just aren't actors some of them are comedians and mm. some of them are they're from a huge variety of backgrounds so I think that also like made people feel more comfortable with it rather than saying hey do you want to do a play for the first time yeah. here's six weeks of work and for people who don't know tell us some of those people who were the people that you were shooting for and who did you end up with I think we shot for anyone that came into our minds really it was for me Louise it was people that were really inspiring as a child I was just <laughs> like yeah why don't we ask like Cheryl Ferguson from EastEnders was somebody at the very first coffee we had which was outside the Botanic Gardens at this lovely little bakery um I said god if we we're going to do this I would love Cheryl Ferguson to be in it who played Heather Trott in EastEnders because yeah. she was my both my childhood hero and my childhood crush and yes I did end up gay so I think <laughs> I think that explains a lot and uh so from then we just shot from the stars like Aidan Gillen was one of the people we were like wouldn't it be great if we got Aidan Gillen to be in this and then we did yeah Linda Martin was somebody talked about we really wanted Linda Martin or um Aunt Sarah from Dairy Girls Kathy Kira Clark and mainly so we're like do we actually do this do we just write really lovely emails and see if people will reply and we did and they replied yeah we kind of stumbled into it yeah because the list is really impressive I mean like I would have paid attention anyway because it's it's an interesting thing that you guys are doing but like you know you've got you've got big names I mean and you've got a lot of like internet names like James Kavanaugh for example uh Michael Fry I know PJ Kirby's in there so a lot of really like important people in the queer community contemporarily um and then also as you said some of those kind of more old school or more um serious I mean if we're talking about Aiden Gillen kind of actors so it's a really interesting blend yeah, yeah it's a list of gay icons really that's kind of what we talked about we were thinking, <laughs> why was like, I not invited people who are like they... <laughs> <laughs> that's... we've got a role so I'm only joking I'm only yeah, joking <laughs> I'm only joking. It was that kind of idea of like somebody who's kind of iconic and somebody who like kind of makes us like feel interested or like makes us giggle or like somebody we've always wanted to work with. And that was it. And then 38 people later, we're kind of releasing it now, which is crazy. Yeah. Like what a what a joy to to do that. That's <laughs> yeah. like, you know, kind of it sounds like a dream scenario. Was it a dream scenario, Lisa? Yeah, it was absolutely nuts. But the biggest dream of all was this is like the first artistic project I've worked on since COVID that allowed me to do like basically a version of an opening night in my pajamas watching Love Island in the background. <laughs> and I was like, this is such a treat <laughs> to just sit here and let it roll out online. And all the work is kind of done in advance, which was really nice. Yeah. And how did you guys, I mean, let's go back because how did you guys come together in the first place? Because you're from different parts of the country. Like, did you train yes. together? Like, how did this happen? This meeting of minds? 
I was, uh, I'm, t- I'm a few years younger than Lisa, but she yes, was, Lisa was a I was just going to say, I feel like he says this all the time. Why do I just know immediately that that's something that he always says? <laughs> well, I was, I, when I came to Trinity, both of us studied drama and theater studies in Trinity College. And mm. I was in first year, Lisa was a third year and she was the first third year who was really nice to me. And oh. I always remembered it. It always stuck with me that she was really kind at a time when I was kind of walking around Trinity being like, God, like what, what do I do here? And how does yeah. this work? Um, so then Lisa's really lovely to me. We always kept in touch. We did a couple of plays and then I graduated about a year and a half ago and I begged Lisa to come and help make it all work. And I kind of, we've been stuck together, joined at the hip since then, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think it was kind of perfect timing as well because we were also looking at the audio kind of medium during COVID and mm-hmm. that's kind of how we started out with Lemon Soap with our two collaborators, HK and Owen. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a really, it's a really fun time to explore that and give it a bit of time to figure out whether or not it was going to work for us. And obviously it did because we're back making more audio work. And how did you fund this? Did you get funding? Yeah, that was a fun one. <laughs> There's been lots of different funding routes and different streams over the years, but we it was kind of a beg, borrow and steal scenario to get the budget together. Mm. So we had some fantastic support from Once Off Productions in terms of producing support. And then we also had some funding from the Arts Council, which we used to develop a writer's room for mm. it. So we've actually got, we're able to create that kind of atmosphere and try that out so that it wasn't just a single writer. It was a couple of different voices to create so many characters for something this big. Yeah. And how did you get to a point where you were happy with it? I feel like, are you, how is your inner critic? Is it is it persistent or are you the kind of people who you finish something and you're like, well, that's great. I'm delighted. <laughs> Well, I think we're talking on the day that it's actually just released. And yeah. like I slept for three hours last night because I had no clue how people were going to were gonna respond. Like I just couldn't fathom because we've lived with it. Lisa and I have talked about nothing else for a year and a half. And yeah. I think there did come a point in the writing where we kind of had to say, this has to stop now that we have to just start the recording. And that was about seven months ago. We were like, no, these are the scripts now. Like we yeah. could tinker with these for years trying to make these into what they are. But we had to be like within the parameters of this tiny production that's trying to be massive. This is the best possible scripts we can do. Let's yeah. keep going. And we kind of built it from there then. Yeah. I know so many writers who say that that's like one of the most difficult things to do is to just call time on it and say, you know, it's done. Um, just done. Yeah. yeah. And and how, I mean, obviously you guys are collaborating. Is collaboration really important to both of your individual processes? Or, you know, do you plan to work together again? Or do you plan on kind of going off and now, hopefully if this is a success, which I feel confident that it will be, that you can kind of use that as a springboard to do your own projects? I definitely think collaboration is something that we've always been curious about especially in our group and how we like to function is definitely very collaborative like somebody who works in lighting design can have an opinion on a script and that could change something hugely Mm. so it's always been a core part of our practice to respond to that and and see how we can push each other so I definitely think it'll be something we do going forward it's just very so bit hugely project to project like Mm. this one was a lot of sitting around eating cake and debating whether or not this character was going to do this or do this on a night out and like how you'd react to that and we did a lot of collecting stories and sharing stories that we both individually would have heard or other writers would have individually heard from other young queer people and Mm. then figuring out whether or not that's something we could explore in some way in our story. Yeah. So are your friends terrified to tell you anything? I'm no. terrified to tell all this stuff, I will say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I told, it, him, it's, I told I you about that nightmare. I told him about a nightmare once and he put it in a plane. Oh, so. Alton. <laughs> 
It, I, I did ask permission. I would put that out there. I did not just steal it. I asked Lisa's permission to use it. Um, I think the collaborations fascinating though, Louise, because like with this show, there was three writers in the room and then Lisa was heavily involved in the writer's room as well of like giving us feedback and like telling us when something was crap, mm. which I think is great. It's lovely to hear that when somebody goes, this is crap, you can do better. There was an yeah. awful lot of that on this. Um, but that sense of like coming in, like I, I would have come into the room and said to like hire one of our co-writers and being like, this is the arc. And then hire him like, that's shit ultimately oh right okay suddenly you have to reframe everything and that was a wonderful way to work like just to be like to be in it together with people i think mm. really community is about what i love about theater and about yeah. the artistic community in general is coming together and like having that common purpose it's been like i've never done drugs in my life i'm the most sober virginal person you'll ever meet but i think about a lot this must be what it's like to do cocaine I don't know if it is, but it's what I think. <laughs> I love it. Good for you. Good for you living that life of sobriety. That's because you're obviously a youth if you're only just out of college. That's what they're telling us old people about all the youths. They're like, oh, they're very, they're very together. They're not doing drugs and they're not really even drinking. And they're actually not even having that much casual sex. I'm like, what are they doing, the youths? Um, well, they're making podcasts. Yeah, oh, he's, he is having sex. Okay, good. Well, as long as there's something happening there. Everybody needs I'm advice. Glad you up on that. <laughs> yeah. Are you glad that I? articulated it into the microphone that's the question so glad I was like do I say it will I make myself look embarrassing if I say it so I'm glad you said it always here to say the embarrassing bit loud that's essentially my role in life actually um so thank you thank you so much I'm interested because obviously you said that at the start you know one of the reasons that you started having a conversation about working on a project was because you were talking about kind of roles for queer people or representation for queer people in theater and in media at large I'd love to hear your thoughts on that I find there isn't enough like yeah. you said this at the start, Louise, like there, you haven't heard of anything like this before. Have you, as a culture queen yourself, have you ever heard of a serialized queer Irish story that's able, that tries to emulate like something sitcom-y that we know and have heard of? Uh, no, I don't think I have. Not in Ireland. Like we've definitely seen, I think we've seen great media of that type kind of from the Abroad. UK and from America, but yeah, yeah, but not in Ireland, no. Yeah, and that's kind of what we were thinking about. We're like, could we do this? Could we actually try and synthesize something that's essential about what it is to be a young queer person approaching 30 in Ireland today, put that into a radio show mm. with loads of gay icons and just see what happens. Mm. And that's where it came from. And also the idea of like, we've got four central gals in this show. There's a lesbian, a bisexual woman, a trans woman, and then a token gay man. And like how they, each of their arcs, how they relate to each other and what their experiences are, mm. but also doing it in a way that like their identities are kind of second to who they are because we're mm. seeing them in a space where it's totally, you know, their identity doesn't really matter in that space because mm. they're so um in tune with one another and kind of yeah. just letting that be like our our main character is a trans woman in this show and this mm. feels very pertinent at a time like this yeah. to, to be able to do that and she's hilarious and she's charming and i hope people will fall in love with her yeah and that's what this show is about it's sex in the city but for gays in dublin during the housing crisis really do you know what i find interesting there and obviously you can 100 percent correct me on this but like when i um when i started you know existing on the gay scene in Dublin things were quite divided um, lesbians hung out with lesbians gay men hung out with gay men there wasn't really a whole lot of interaction we didn't I mean there were very few trans people that you could see around the place and they certainly weren't at that time being welcomed into any of the other social groups it seems like that's changed now I feel like you know the Gen Zers are not so divided you know it, it seems like there's more of a and I know, obviously, we could go, like, we're not going to even go down the road of, like, the turfs and the, you know, all of those claims. Mm -hmm. But, like, it seems like there's there's more of a sense of a larger community than there there was when I was 20, say, which is 20 years ago, by the way. 
It's horrific. <laughs> You'd never yeah, know. I think we wanted to really lean into that and like talk about the community and sometimes it's complexities, but also like how like there is still fun and joy to be found even in those complex issues and mm. how that can be referenced and talked about in a way that is kind of part of your daily life as a queer person in yeah. Ireland. And do you, but do you think I'm right or am I talking out my arse? Do you feel, I mean, I'm not asking you to, to make a comparison, but do, do, does it feel like there is a larger kind of community sense and that people are mixing, you know, reasonably well? Oh, I think so. I was just about to say, maybe, maybe as like a sober virginal person, maybe I'm not the right person to ask, <laughs> but I do think so. <laughs> and I, and I, I also think there's this idea of queerness, which has really become a real thing that people are um, buying into and are really empowered by the idea of we are a community. Yeah. Um, it feels very <clears throat> present and very present. But then I think you're right, Louise, but I'm also really fascinated by what happens when like you do say like we're all in this together and we're all the same. And mm. we explore this a little bit in Fruit about the complexities of those identities that are different. Yeah. But we do all fall under this one glorious sometimes fractured community but like what happens when those kind of identities bat up against each other or somebody's identity feels lessened by somebody else's comments about it and like mm. the full realities of who we all are mm. individually aren't being reckoned with and kind of explored as a, as a group mm. and that's something that happens in fruit now it's still very funny it's still a bit silly and a bit mad but like what happens when you know the three cisgender people in the group don't really really understand the problem that Izzy as a trans woman is facing yeah. and they they ultimately do reckon with what that what the issues that she's facing is throughout the show but like they kind of minimize it a little bit or how mm. Ashley who's a bisexual woman who's been in a long-term relationship for seven years feels that her friends are forcing her to try and be become more queer even though she feels herself that she is um, and feels that her identity is so central to who she is but yet they're a bit like oh and look what you've done you've settled yeah. for this heterosexuality so we really try to to dig deep into that so while it is fun and poppy and a bit frothy and fabulous obviously we're also trying to really dig into the complexities of our identities and try and represent that in an Irish way but that's real life isn't it like real life isn't the internet where people expect everybody to be the finished product real life is figuring shit out as you go along and learning from your friends and making a mistake and being called out and you know god like you know I knew nothing I mean when I think about it when I when I first entered the gay community for want of a better term like I knew absolutely nothing I I you know when I think about and honestly it's really hard like my my friends who I've been friends with for 20 years and I have had some really confronting conversations recently about some of the attitudes that were really pervasive within our group of friends when it came to other members of the community and stuff um and like it's quite confronting to realize that you got it so wrong but the reality is 20 years on we're in a very different place and it's only through socializing and meeting people and learning and paying attention and making mistakes and being called out that you get to that point so I think it's great that that's you know that's the way it's happening in fruit because that's the way it happens yeah. Well, I think something that's also really interesting to me is the role that media can play in those shifting attitudes and those shifting behaviours. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember the first, like, I grew up in a small rural town in Donegal. Um, there were not very many trans people here. I don't think I knew any trans people back mm -hmm. when I was growing up. So the first trans person I saw was Laverne Cox on Orange is the New Black. And how how transformative that was and realising that, like, oh, there's a whole world out there that I don't know anything about. And then when I came to college to Dublin, which did feel like New York City, um, very glamorous, and then to, to learn even more about that so yeah I think media can play a part in those shifting roles and conversations and kind of platform characters that we fall in love with and then we learn about their identities and those um those modern behaviors through that as well yeah I think I love it um like was it 
intentional to release fruit in June, which is obviously Pride Month. Um, yes, Alton is nodding. Lisa, it was. <laughs> yes, definitely. I think it's just a really great time to celebrate where we've like what we've achieved and where we are and how we react to one another. And I think like a lot of people who aren't queer suddenly become quite aware of queer media during June, mm. which we'd hope that this is an accessible enough piece that even if you're not part of the community, you'll still be able to understand, enjoy and maybe learn something from it mm -hmm. in, in a way that's not like, you know, absolutely throwing a pride flag around you and like shoving it in your face. It's very like, it's still a comedy. It's still like a sitcom. It's still just a group of friends, mm -hmm. but it does deal with those bigger issues mm -hmm. in a way that we think other media may not have done in a similar way yet. Well, the first episode is available now. It's going to be released over six weeks every week, right? So you're making people wait just like an actual sitcom or soap yeah. opera. Yeah. This <laughs> is not Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Okay, well, if you want to go and listen to Fruit, it's available, as I said, it's available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and at the Lemon Soap website. And uh, you can listen to the first episode now, and then it will be released weekly from then. So it's being released on Wednesdays, right? Yeah. First thing on Wednesday mornings. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much, Alton and Lisa. It's been an absolute joy to talk to you. I hope loads and 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 loads of people listen and you get to make loads more work like this or or different work if that's what you want. I just want you to be happy, guys. That's all I want for you. Yeah. Thank you so much. I want you in season two, Louise. So I can't no, oh, wait I'm to there. I'm 100% there. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This week's entertainment stories feature a truly bizarre hodgepodge of goings-on in Ireland and abroad. Michael Flatley is apparently getting serious about his life. Are Khalees and Bill Murray having a love affair? And my God, there is few things more satisfying than seeing Pierce Morgan meeting his match. I was delighted to have LGBTQ plus activist James O'Hagan on hand to chat through these stories and more. James O'Hagan, such a pleasure to once again be with you this time through the medium of technology. Uh, I appreciate you making yourself available to the podcast once more. 
I'm always physically or digitally, I am always available to you, Louise. I feel your spirit <laughs> with me all the time, James. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> and particularly strong, this Pride Week coming. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love that it's a whole month now. I know. So, so do I. And like people correct people. I was at an event the other night where someone said, oh, you know, this is, you know, we're, we're so delighted to be doing this in Pride Week. And someone was like from the audience, like, no, no, it's Pride Month now. So it's like, you know, we're, we're not letting go. We've got the 30 days. Well, to be honest, I think we need the 30 days at this stage. We do. We do. Um, OK, well, let's get stuck in because we've got absolutely loads. So much mad shit this week. I mean, oh, it's it just... is the most bizarre mix and gather of yeah. random people doing random stuff. And I love <laughs> Let's start with Khalees and Bill Murray. <laughs> I mean, I, I sort of was like, I feel like this was sort of like a, sort of a bingo machine, just random names pulled out. So apparently, first and foremost, uh, something that has been entirely sort of left out of this is that Bill Murray was at Mighty Hoopla. What? Like, <laughs> so that's where supposedly they met. Was like that's the, the performance in London that Bill Murray was at. He was at. Mighty Hoopla, the massive, big, gay summer party in the huh. heart of London. coming He's down right, with to be all- honest. I know, absolutely. <laughs> I was like well jealous of everyone who made it over. But so, yeah, so a, a number of weeks ago, Bill Murray, age 72, was spotted uh, enjoying a Khalees performance uh, at, uh, at Bill Murray. And well, he might. She is a fantastic performer. We were I was lucky enough to see her back in 2019 at uh, Love Sensation when when that uh, that festival happened. Oh, yeah. I saw her. I'm going to really age myself here. I saw her in um, Dakota on South William Street oh, for wow. Arthur's Day. <laughs> Like 15 years ago, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, that, that sounds intimate and beautiful. I have but seen yeah, her so... since then, but I just really wanted to drop it, drop that in. <laughs> Arthur's Day was such a moment, wasn't this? I mean... <laughs> Truly. A marketing win, I think. Uh, absolutely. Um, but yeah, so subsequently, like, this, this story, I have no idea how it sort of actually materialised, because it doesn't seem to have been anything beyond just that they were... He was spotted at a performance of hers. And then obviously some sort of wily minded celebrity gossip columnist was like, well, if he was there, why would he be there? Mm. You know, it, it maybe that there's some kind of romantic connection. So there's been lots of stuff bubbling on this sort of mad story over social media for the last kind of couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And it appears as if Khalees has sort of addressed it now. So a fan on her Instagram said, are you going to ever address these Bill Murray allegations? The fact that they used allegations because yeah. there's such like a negative connotation to it. It's like yeah. you're in a new, you're, you, there's allegations you're in a new relationship. And she says, lol, no, babe, I wouldn't bother at all. And then following on to that to another comment about the relationship, she said, everybody is dumb and will believe everything, but we're blessed, rich and happy. Leaving us kind of none the wiser, but assuming, feeling as if maybe they're not yeah, I romantically mean, invested. But the thing about it is, right, if they apparently met at Mighty Hoopla, that was only a week and a half ago. Like, so they would hardly be in some sort of intense, committed relationship, number one. Yeah. Uh, like, exactly. No, this isn't Love Island. You know? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Um, but also, I mean, it just seems very unlikely. And of course, unfortunately, because I know that people will be quick to remind us, Bill Murray is no stranger to controversy and has had lots of accusations yeah. over recent years about just problematic behavior uh, on set, being rude, being hostile, being kind of sexually inappropriate. Um, so unfortunately, we can't love Bill Murray no, in the way that we is- used to. No, exactly. And, and to be perfectly honest, like Bill Murray is sort of like he kind of falls into the kind of Jack Nicholson sort of uh, category of person where you're not surprised when you hear this kind of stuff or see this kind of stuff coming up. You oh. feel like I was Devo, though. Uh, so was I. I mean, like, 
yeah th- there has been so he was part of um i can't remember what the name of the movie was uh, last year where a number of allegations on second month they decided not to proceed yeah. with that and, and i suppose like he, he 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 doesn't seem to be sort of like having that like outright cancellation but yeah. he's still sort of going around and i think wes anderson came out to say that the allegations that had been brought forward wouldn't prevent him from working with him in the future which i i found a bit strange because i just felt like wes anderson's whole vibe is that sort of you know making sure people would feel safe on set and that's something, something. but yeah. anyway yeah. Um. Maybe it's re- image rehabilitation. He thinks that if he can bring all Khaleesi's milkshakes to his yard, that uh, he'll be able to get his good rep back. <laughs> and that is why we pay the big bucks, James. Um, okay. Next up, Michael Flatley is getting a, a series about his life, a TV series. What? So yeah. It, it, story first entertainment. Some American media company is producing a is. Is, is currently casting, apparently pilot script has been created and they're currently casting for a six-part series called Dance Lord, uh, which will ta- tell the tale of Michael Flatley's life from childhood to sort of the eve of his sort of like river dance success to when he started his own his own dance troupe. Right. And so Michael Flatley has said that he's honoured and, and humbled. Rod Gunner, the executive producer, has said that he's been so impressed about how at every turn Michael Flatley confronts adversity, which as a, <laughs> a white billionaire uh, Irish dancer I mean the adversity he must face oh I love I just really want to read this aloud from the synopsis for every (laughs) transcendent moment on stage flatly endures grueling hours of pain and the loneliness of the road Taunted by the media and at times doubted by everyone but his fans, Flatley bounces back time and again, dancing from his heart well into middle age and transforming (laughs) Irish dance forever. I I have to say, so as it happened, I'm doing a sort of a a, a, a 90s revisit of a lot of the shows I loved back then and I'm rewatching Charmed. uh, Okay. Currently. Mm-hmm. And last night, as it happened, coming on to speak to you, the episode I got to was, I think, a season five episode where Phoebe, Piper and Paige helped the leprechauns rescue their magical world from the demons. Of course. And it was some of the like campest, most stereotypical, stereotypical over the top kind of like, shillelagh, laddies, come on now, not me bollocks. <laughs> and I, I was just sort of like, this is what we're going to get from this, isn't it? It's going to be that like, like, do you remember that? <sighs> Do you remember that that was a Celtic films when they like literally blocked everybody in Ireland so that we couldn't talk about them? Like it is going to be the worst interpretation of Irishness made to be just sort of like dancing at the crossroads, sort of far and away, bad accents. And I'm going to be here for every second of it. Yeah, well, see, the problem is that like <laughs> he's American. So like what is, you know, we're going to see him in the uh, the rough streets of the Irish dance world in the USA. Like I can tell you having been there, it is very competitive, but that's about the height of it. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah, no, I, I can't. I, I cannot imagine that there's like a, that there's really a story of like significant hardship that goes alongside. And I mean, look, I'm willing to be wrong. I'm sure you're willing to be wrong, but currently... Absolutely. It's hard to imagine. Okay, now we're staying in Ireland because we need to talk about the shake-up of the Rose of Tralee. I mean, the shake-up, that's not a shake-up. No, it's not a shake-up at all. Dahi's getting a (laughs) co-host. If you liked Maura and Dahi, get ready for Dieran and Dahi or Deirdre and Dahi or Jenny and Dahi, you know, or Holly Willoughby and Dahi uh, if the the papers are to be... uh, we believe so there doesn't seem to be anything more to this than they've just decided that they want to have a female co-host yeah which i think is a good idea oh it's overdue absolutely now i I would like i would love i've really enjoyed my in my interactions with the rose of tralee over the last number of years have 
primarily been through sort of James Patrice's sort of like online bits and pieces that he does it. I don't necessarily, I haven't necessarily like watched the actual show. I enjoy his vibe. I like him. He's got that kind of campiness, that sort of, um, oh God, I can't remember the name of the movie. Now. Like that sort of uh, Miss Congeniality, William Shatner kind of. Yeah. Uh, I'm after mixing up two of my movies James here, Patrice. But- yeah, yeah, he has that kind of vibe about him. It's very kind so of old I, school. Yeah, go crock. Yeah, so mm. I, I would, I would be like, go the whole hog, get rid of die, and like you know, bring someone like who sort of is going to take it to a completely different direction. Yeah, well, I think it would be better to just have a woman. Like, no offense, Dahi, I've no issue yeah, with Dahi. Dahi's a lovely man. I've met him loads of times, but like, I think having a woman host it would give it an entirely different tone. Just a woman, and um, because my worry would be, look. Deirdre O'Kane is the current favourite and I think that that would be a great shout because Deirdre is gas and she would bring um, a maturity to to it you know what I mean because my fear would be that if it was Deirdre and I love Deirdre and she is also gas and incredibly smart and well able but my fear would be that it would end up being like she would kind of be in the sidekick role or something I'd worry about the kind of vibe between the two of them whereas Deirdre and Dahi I think that could be interesting like there could be an interesting yeah. kind of almost tension there, like, you know, not a negative tension, but like a, a kind of entertaining tension. No, I, I completely agree with you. Like, I kind of think you need people who are too, like, who, who kind of like meet very much as peers to come together. So yeah. I think Deirdre will be a brilliant kind of like, because you are right. If you put like Jennifer Zamparelli or Deirdre or, or, or Deir and Gary in there, there is an anxiety that like, even if it's not the way it's like planned out or, mm. or the way it's like put together, that it could be perceived as being like, Here's the man who's in charge of yeah. the pretty girl standing behind beside him. Yeah. Um, and Even I though Deirin is definitely not that. Like, I'm not, not suggesting that. No, that that's who absolutely. she is, but you'd worry that she might end up putting that role. Also, to yeah. be honest, I just want Deirdre O'Kane to get loads and loads of work. It's insane that she hasn't had more TV work in Ireland. Like, absolutely insane. She it is, is so talented. Wrong. She's proven herself again and again as an actor, as a comedian. Um, you know, I love Deirdre and I'd love to see her, her get an opportunity like that. Maybe she wouldn't want it, but if she wanted it, I would want her to have it absolutely okay we're flying through it because we've got so much to talk about this week and um, i just just loved 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 this exchange between pierce morgan uh, and l brooke who is a very successful only fans creator I, I, this is like this is like perfection this is mm. exactly what i need from people when <laughs> they're taking these energy taking this energy into every encounter with, with pierce morgan so yeah so ella brooke was on his gb news show the whatever whatever it is he spouts his hate from uh, she was in to kind of have a chat with him about her decision to well i mean her decision to 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 take a different career direction she had been training to be a lawyer she was apparently very good at it and pierce morgan decided that he would like open his shame gun on her and say <laughs> are you not absolutely horrified at yourself will your future children not be disgusted at the fact that their mother decided to take the to leave the noble profession of lawyering to go over and be an OnlyFans creator and she shot back cool as a cucumber absolutely no sweat whatsoever they can cry in their Ferrari I'm just curious about you being someone who embarked on a, a law career mm. was obviously very bright went to university packed it in just for money to be effectively an online stripper I mean that's what you do right yeah Way worse than an online stripper. But, um, what do you mean way worse? <laughs> way worse. Online strippers just, you know, naked. I do things that are way more grotesque well, than that. Just pornography? Pornography, anything. But it's all within what I want to do. And I absolutely love it. And I'm really good at it. You know, I could be a good lawyer, yes. But also, am I good at doing other things on video and camera? How would yes. you feel when you want to have kids yourself? Well, I mean, that's... I, I don't really want kids right now. But, but you will do. How old are you? 25. Right, so you will do at some stage, probably, right? Maybe. When you do, are you going to be proud that 
you have your little ones and they look at you and go, didn't you want to be a lawyer, mummy? What happened? Yeah. And you go, yeah, but look at all my stuff. They can cry in a Ferrari. And I'm like, <laughs> and he, the, the absolute shock on his face. He did not know. He does not know what to do no. when a woman stands up to him. It was <laughs> stunning. Like she just sat there completely unshaken throughout as he kind of patronized her. And just with a smile on her face and then had the ultimate comeback. I just love that so much. Like the, he, he's just such a scumbag and he has such disdain for young women in general um, unless they can be some sort of decoration in his life from what I can see and I just love it when you see a woman go "Mm, actually no I'm not going to take that shame you're trying to put on me and you know I just think this whole conversation about OnlyFans that that tends to happen around like between these kind of middle-aged men is just so ridiculous like at the end of the day if men, and it is mostly men who subscribe to OnlyFans, if men are stupid enough to give women money for doing very little, then more power to women for taking their money. Do you know what I mean? Like, you Absolutely. might as well profit from the the, the imbalance in between <laughs> the sexes. No, completely. And I mean, this is the thing, is like, there, there's a, a kind of like, an it's an unwinnable battle for women's, like, frequently, because it's like, you know, she, say, had decided that she was going to carry on with her law degree. We know that there's such a huge imbalance within, like, employment across the board. She would have earned less than her male colleagues she would have been passed over for potentially passed over for uh, and I'm not saying that she like I'm not saying that like everyone quit your career and go do OnlyFans but what I'm saying is that like it's a no-win situation the women are just shamed whatever they do so her deciding to to remain in what is quote-unquote kind of the um professional career or the career where that's more respectful as according to to Piers Morgan who is a man who is just a misogynistic transphobe and honestly are your children not ashamed of you exactly well I think they are actually (laughs) haven't is hasn't one of them or maybe I'm getting people mixed I think that was Jen, like, are you getting your 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 oh that was Jeremy Clarkson I am yeah I think that's <laughs> but the thing as well is that like L L could work for five years like if she's one of the top earners on OnlyFans and I think she's doing quite well she could work for literally five years and earn all the money she needs for her entire life and she'd still only be thirty she probably if she even wants kids she didn't even say she's sure she wants kids but if she wants kids she probably won't have kids until let's be real around thirty five that's when most people yeah. are doing it these days or early thirties she won't even be in that career anymore potentially and like you know my kids stop listening the minute I say do you know I used to they're not listening (laughs) they don't care and like I hope that the next generation will have a much more sex positive attitude in general absolutely but I mean and that's like I mean Piers Morgan is coming from a point of view that that doesn't really exist anymore like if you think back to kind of like if you think back to like 10, 15, 20 years ago like the idea that even you had like a a slightly risque picture like like released about you some sort of revenge porn style of thing it could destroy your entire life now people will quite happily be like working their day-to-day lives and promoting their OnlyFans or their sort of like alternative Twitter. Like even many people who don't even have OnlyFans or aren't monetizing it yeah. will have like alt Twitter accounts where they're posting explicit or extreme or yeah. explicit content just because they want to and more power to them. If yeah. you want to share your body and whatever you want to do with it, there should be no shame to it. It's the your body. Is, exactly. The problem is the shame that's being made around the idea of sex and sexuality and primarily female sexuality yeah. so honestly Piers Morgan jog on absolutely you put it a lot more politely than I would have <laughs> okay let's briefly touch on this idea of an oasis reunion because the story keeps running yeah so I'm only really aware of any of this because Anita played at the halftime show of the Champions League final oh my god so... I so enjoy this <laughs> <laughs> I love that that's your way in my god James I mean could you be gayer like honestly I, I couldn't be I don't think I, I honestly don't think I could be um but so 
Apparently, I, I don't know, at some point in the uh, recent history, Liam Gallagher tweeted out that if Man City, this club that himself and his brother have like idolised, loved, supported right through from their, their very beginnings, where to win the Champions League, that he would like get over himself, ring up his, his brother Noel and say, let's get going, let's do the old Oasis reunion. So mm. that recently has happened and people are bringing that tweet back up to attention. Noel was on the like I don't know the after party whatever it is the like celebratory bit after the match sort of he was being interviewed from San Diego where he'd been watching the match to be asked about it and the the presenter of the the presenter the football presenter asked him about it and he was sort of like you know he wasn't saying outright no he wasn't saying outright yes he was kind yeah. of just saying let's see let's see what happens yeah Liam has been pretty quiet about it hasn't said anything about it it would be interesting to see where they to come back, where they would sit in the current musical landscape, because there has been so much kind of animosity between the band. So many things of like, oh, we might get back together. We won't get back together. Liam and Noel have both been independently and separately touring the crap out of Oasis songs for the last 30 years, more or less. Yeah, but like but people like are not- desperate to see them together again. Like I saw Sarah, Sarah Breen, a friend of mine who... Uh, writes the Ashing books with Emer, who's obviously on the podcast all the time. Sarah was is a is a huge diehard Oasis fan, and she was like, "We don't need new music. They don't need to get in the studio. Oh, no, no, we no. just want to go and see them play." And like, I think that that's what they should do. They should just do a big tour, give the fans what they want, cop on, earn millions of euro, and like I then know. we can all move on with our lives. Um, actually, when I was at Slane last weekend, I was um. I got to, uh, the most incredible part, I was very lucky, I got to go as a guest of Slain Whiskey. And Slain Whiskey is the project of Alex Cunningham, who's the son of Lord Henry Mount Charles. Alex currently lives in Slain Castle with his family and is taking over the Slain gigs and is in charge of making sure that Slain Castle can keep going. And Slain Whiskey yeah. is obviously a passion project of his, but also part of making sure that they can still do all the kind of eco work that they do with their land and stuff. It's, it's really interesting. But anyway, I, I got to learn all about that on Saturday and it was great. But yeah. the best part of the whole day was I got to go into the castle and sit with Alex Cunningham and he just told us stories about like slaying over the years like very like like gas stuff like David Bowie um Guns and Roses like trying to get them on stage and the tour manager was fishing in the river behind the stage and um, <laughs> Axel Rose was still in Dublin watching was he watching Die Hard and uh, Slash was backstage and they had to try and get asked. It was like all these mad stories, amazing stuff. But he was asked as well. We got to ask him questions. It was so cool. But um, someone asked him like, you know, who who do you want to book? Like who are the three acts you'd love to you'd love mm-hmm. to book? Not enough women in his list, I would just like to say. But mm-hmm. um, he mentioned Oasis and he was like, you know, there are rumors and he seemed kind of optimistic and he has his ear to the ground. So I'm going to take that as a positive sign because I would love to go and sing Oasis songs yeah. with the two I of them on the stage. That. And Slane would actually be the perfect venue for that. Yeah. Because like my my like memories of Slane are that like year where it was like Oasis or it was like it was a U2 and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Like yeah. That kind of like where everyone's going bonkers. And then I went to like Robbie Williams as well. And it's like and that's like ancient, ancient history at this point. Mm. And it's such an iconic venue. And it actually feels like Harry Styles has kind of brought a bit of it kind of back into the public imagination. Yeah. I know that there's been a gap now for a while because of COVID and stuff. Yeah. So it would be I think that like Oasis at Slane, I'm there. I can yeah. put aside the PTSD of, of it them being the band associated with all of those who bullied me back in primary school <laughs> and secondary school. I can put that aside mm. to, to scream Wonderwall into the universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I think you're right. You know, it was interesting because Alex also said that, um, you know, choosing an act like Harry Styles and who his dad chose, his dad still chooses the acts. So he's still very much in charge there. Um, and he got, he came in as well and actually spoke to us a bit, which was really cool. Um, you know, it's about keeping Slane relevant and all 
also, you know, Alex was saying he has to try and get his kids interested so that his kids will eventually take over, yeah. you know, when the time comes so that they can keep the land going and keep, you know, doing the work that they're doing. It's really interesting. Anyway, um, finally, I don't even, we don't even need to talk about this story at length. I just wanted to acknowledge the headline, which is stunning. Um, I, I mean, stripper, was it... Uh... Patricia the Stripper, I actually don't have the headline here. I have I just the headline, know I will read it. Krista Berg stuns group of charity strippers at Wicklow Hotel. That's what it was. 10 this out of 10. A, 10 out of 10. Also, just apparently in a random hotel, having an owl play along on himself. People come over here, listen. <laughs> Hang we're on, a play along to... on himself, James? <laughs> that sounds like he was okay, publicly but... masturbating. That is not what was happening. Just last <laughs> Accusations <anyone. laughs> made, tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> I mean, there is something a little bit self-flagellation-y about going into a public hotel and sitting down and being like, I'm going to play the piano until someone re- realises I'm Christopher Berg. But um, yeah, the people were like, we're we're on a call here with Andrea Gilligan. Can you can you stop over there making all that racket um, mm. before their Chinese go? It was it was mad, a, a mad story. And I, I thought in the in the um, in the article that, that I was reading about it, I thought it was very funny. There was a, there was one woman who there who was wearing a red dress, and so she said to him like, "Oh, Lady in Red is my favorite song," which of course it absolutely is not her favorite song. But she was wearing the red dress, and she wasn't missing that opportunity. Mm. And he's like, "Yeah, everyone says that." No one cares about the rest of my music. <laughs> I love it. But even this, a group of Irish women preparing to strip for charity were stunned. I'm reading this from the Irish Mirror. Were stunned when they stumbled across Patricia, the stripper singer, Krista Bird. What are the chances? <laughs> yeah, so basically these guys were discussing their strip and dip event uh, before swimming naked at a secluded beach at the weekend in aid of children's cancer charity, Evening's Pink Tie, which is great. Obviously super work. I love, I really want to do one of those. I want to strip naked I've and run into them. the sea. yeah. The, the, the dicky dip for that, that they were doing for like men's health week last yeah. year. I was, I was so tempted to go and do that. And then I saw the pictures. I was like, oh, it looks so joyous. Yeah, I feel I like it would be just... really liberating and fun. I like swimming naked. Yeah. I've done it before. I will do it again. <laughs> okay, James O'Hagan, thank you so, so much. James is advocating the shit out of it over at LGBT Ireland. And um, yeah, you can read, people. actually, James has written a piece for GCN this month all about um, fat phobia and uh, body issues in general in the uh, gay community definitely worth a read i will put a link to that in the show notes so that people can go and check thank it out thank you you're no, welcome absolutely I, I always a pleasure to be here um and hopefully i'll see you knocking around pride village or pride weekend 100 100 thanks james <laughs> thank you so much now i got reports that last week uh some of you had the end of the episode cut off so apologies if that was the situation I'm not sure exactly what happened there um, but I know I promised you recommendations for climate change podcasts so I'm going to give you some of those today before we sign off so the first one I'm going to recommend is an Irish one it's by Kira Carney it's called Book of Leaves this won the um, kind of environment category in last year's Irish podcast awards and I met Kira on the night and she was so lovely the vibe of the podcast is basically talking to people who have concern about the environment and who want to kind of educate people and encourage people to kind of live better basically it's on eco-friendly living as I said it's called Book of Leaves and it's a really lovely one internationally there's one called Hot Take which I really think you guys will like because it is hosted by two friends Mary Anais Heglar and an investigative journalist 
Amy Vestervelt, who are genuine pals, and they're basically breaking down the latest climate headlines. It's very accessible, and because they're friends, there's just a nice vibe. Um, and as I said, that's called Hot Take. If you want something a little more nerdy, How to Save a Planet is a little bit more in that vein. It's hosted by Alex Bloomberg, who you might know because he used to do podcasts for NPR. Um, he really knows what he's doing, so it's super slick and really well produced, and it's full of information, but also genuine recommendations on how you can make changes in your life to have a positive impact on the environment or in terms of climate change in general. So there you go. Those are my um, recommendations for environmental podcasts. I will pop them in the show notes so that you can go and see them there because obviously I talk fast and I don't expect you to be able to take things down very quickly. Um, otherwise, the new series of Somebody Somewhere is on Sky and my God, I just love it so much. I love it so much. It is the loveliest program. I know I recommended it here before, which is how I know this podcast is getting old because um, we're actually onto the second series of a show that uh, that I've recommended before. And that is just delightful that I've actually survived. Um, it is a like 25, 30 minute series. It features Bridget Everett is the main character in it. She is a woman who returns home to take care of her sister as she is sick. Her sister dies. That's before the series even starts. And then she's kind of trying to settle into her life or her place in the world and uh, dealing with grief and all that. But it's really funny and it's really heartwarming. It is just beautiful. I just googled it there out of interest and it has 4.9 stars out of 5 on Google reviews and I really feel like that says a lot. So yeah, Somebody Somewhere, the first series is available in total obviously now on Sky and uh, you can watch the uh, second series now too. It's, I just love it. Love it, love it, love it. Somebody Somewhere, can't recommend it enough. And that's it my friends. Thank you so much for being with me. I so appreciate it. I cannot thank you enough. If you want to get on board the Patreon, I'm going to play you a little sample now of the kind of stuff you can hear over there. Please do join. The link is in the show notes. You can also send me feedback, ideas, thoughts, whatever you like to 089-209-6423. And I will talk to you next Friday. Thank you so much to my contributors and of course to ACAS for having me on the network. Don't forget to come and say hi if you're up beyond the pale or indeed body and soul this weekend. Talk soon. Hi Louise, um, apologies if there is a shouty baby in the background, he's delighted with life here that I'm talking and he wants to know who I'm talking to, you don't know her, okay? Um, so I'm way behind on your podcast, I was listening like religiously and then you know had my second baby at the end of October and it's pretty difficult to actually do things when I intend on doing them anymore so you know how that is. Anyway, what I wanted to say was I just listened uh, to, well, I listened to like three in a row, but the last one that I just listened to was 3rd of March, and it was where you were talking about body image. I know that you've already start, listened to the start of the next episode where you're saying thanks for all your messages, but I just really, really, it struck a nerve with me, and I just wanted to say thank you so much, because Elton here beside me um, was also an emergency section. I'm really struggling with how different my body looks and feels and 
all of that kind of like, you know, <laughs> I was never a small girl, but my body looks so, so different. And I, yeah, I was struggling with it. And I'm, I'm a social care worker. So really in the like, you know, like don't be bound to the societal pressures and blah, blah, blah. But also I'm a child of the 80s and 90s. So <laughs> it's ingrained in me, you know what I mean? So thank you for talking about it. Thank you for like, I suppose, just really, um, oh my gosh. How can anyone think when there's a child shouting at them? Thank you for doing what you do and you're incredible and sorry for sending you a podcast. Have a lovely day. Well, congratulations on having your second baby. I love to hear a baby giving out in the background, but yes, it certainly does um, challenge you in terms of how well you're able to think and articulate yourself and then throw into that what I'm sure has got to be unless you're some sort of, I don't know miracle worker in the sleep department um, is being sleep deprived as well. It's so hard to keep a thought straight. I'm still struggling. I'm six years into parenthood and still, still struggling. Um, thank you for your message. I really appreciate it. And never. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I need to apologize for being behind on the podcast. Life gets busy. I know myself sometimes, even with some of my most favorite podcasts, I find just for whatever reason, I haven't listened to them and I have a backlog. So that's not something you ever need to worry about, but I appreciate you listening at all. Um, and of course, being a patron as well is extra, extra doubly um, appreciated. Yeah, it's funny the C-section thing because uh, I feel and felt the exact same way that you describe. Like, I never was worried about a pre-baby body, post-baby body snap back, any of that bullshit because I was like, well, I don't have a quote unquote perfect body to begin with. So like I have nothing to lose is kind of how I felt. Like I have a weird relationship with it as it is. It's not in the shape that people would suggest it should be. So like, you know, no stress here, whatever happens, happens. And then I found that the reality of it was very different. Um, with Sam, I felt like things went relatively back to normal and he was a vaginal delivery. Um, and then with Ted, yeah, he was an emergency section and I just didn't have any of the time to kind of prepare or consider what the impact of a section would be because it happened within like five minutes of it being suggested um, after 36 hours of induction. So I wasn't in that headspace, didn't have any time to prepare for it. And then I was, yeah, I was really um, surprised by what a number it did on my body and on my mind when it came to my body because even if your body isn't the one people think it should be or you know some people think it should be it's still your body and you know it and I think I wasn't prepared for the fact that a big change in it would be really jarring to me you know a, a big kind of overnight change because I suppose our bodies change all the time but usually it's gradual and I found that after my section my body is in it yeah a completely different shape um I have 
new things to hate, <laughs> which I did not need. Um, and yeah, I, I, it, it's uncomfortable. I kind of don't know how to describe it other than that. Um, and I continue to struggle with it four years on. You know, Ted is like four years and three weeks old today. Um, and it's still a real struggle for me. Um, and I'm shocked by how much it's impacted me, as I say, because I just thought, you know, if you don't have a quote unquote great body to begin with, then like, why would it matter if it changes? But I guess I did kind of like certain things about my body that now aren't there anymore. Or maybe it's just that there's added things to disapprove of. I don't know. But but the, the impact of my C-section has become undoubtedly like my number one thing to fixate on when it comes to my body. Um, and I think it's a really hard thing to process. And I don't have any recommendations for you, unfortunately, in this regard. I don't have any solution because it's a struggle that I have as well. Um, but I think it's important sometimes to just acknowledge that struggle. And I think particularly for people like me who, you know, are, I suppose, active in speaking about body image and trying to improve it and all the rest, I think it's very important for us to acknowledge that it's not always straightforward and that we have hiccups. And um, as I always say, I just don't think you ever get to the finishing line with this stuff. You know, I obviously I try and remind myself that my body is this way because it did something incredible. And, you know, at the end of the day, getting Ted out safely was the most important thing. And, you know, would I pay that price to have my baby safe and healthy and on the outside of my body when he really needed to be? Of course I would. But this we're not talking about logical stuff here, are we? Because as you say, we have been socialized due to growing up in the 80s and 90s to believe certain things about our bodies. And it's, I have to say it's something that I, that makes me really angry. I'm so happy when I hear conversations about the way that we are parenting our children um, and the efforts that so many of us are making not to pass on our body issues um, and our issues around food and eating. And I know that so many parents are really trying to improve things for the next generation of kids. Um, but I'm really annoyed that we got shafted in such a, a huge way. And, I, and we really did. Like, you know, our mothers were also fucked let's be honest, um, by the body talk that they grew up with. We grew up in a time when heroin chic was cool. You couldn't look at a magazine without like the circle of shame, you know, picking out and identifying problematic body parts. You know, we were really only shown one type of person ever on television. We had no exposure to any kind of body diversity. Um, I remember having, I might've said this here before, and if I'm repeating myself, forgive me, but I had a conversation recently with Claire back on her podcast. And I was saying, you know, I can name the people the fat people who were in the media at the time when I was growing up, like, and, and I could count them on one hand, you know, like there was M, E-M-M-E, who was a plus size model. She was not even plus size. There was um, Ricky Lake, who then lost weight. Uh, there was Oprah sometimes, <laughs> like, you know, there really weren't those people. We didn't have those role models. We didn't have different body types to look at. So yeah, it, I think we really are allowed to feel sorry for ourselves in terms of the way that we were impacted and our body image was impacted by the time that we grew up in. Like we grew up watching America's Next Top Model, for God's sake. I mean, think about the toxicity in there. So yeah, I don't have any solutions for you, but what I do have is solidarity. Um, and I guess um, I'm hoping, this is, this is my hope. I'm hoping that I will get to an age where it really 
doesn't matter anymore, you know? Like, I'm hoping I'll get to an age where sexiness and, you know, feeling sexy is no longer about the physicality, you know? Um, I'm hoping that that will come as I get older, but then I know that for lots of women it never comes and and they spend their whole life feeling like they're not enough. Um, But I'll keep working at it. And I hope you'll keep working at it too. It sounds like you're very plugged in and um, and thoughtful about these things. And, you know, all we can do is our best at the end of the day and try and remind ourselves that our bodies are not for show, that we are here to live a life and they're here to facilitate our life. And I think the the most tragic thing is when our body is functioning well to facilitate our life and our joy and our good times and it's doing everything we actually need it to do in terms of function. Um. And yet we prevent ourselves from living that full and happy life because we're so upset about the aesthetic of the body. Um, You know, so many years I spent not doing things because I felt like a fat person shouldn't or couldn't do them. Um, When in fact my body was not limiting me. It was my feelings about my body. So yeah, we'll keep working. We'll keep working toward that. 